I am such a fan of today's guest, so I'm really happy you tuned into this episode featuring Jerisha Hawk. Welcome to Coaches on a Mission. I'm your host, Dallas Travers, and we are here today to help you build a business that aligns with your values, that makes a difference in people's lives, and brings you the money you want to just live your awesome life. So Jerisha is a business coach and sales expert who grew her business from zero to $2 million in less than four years through organic marketing, a lean team, and high profit margins. Jerisha's mission is to narrow the racial wealth gap. She's dedicated to seeing more coaches leave a positive impact and create a lasting legacy by leveraging the profit from their business to contribute to the growth of their personal net worth. So Jerisha is really good at helping you position and sell your group coaching program because you have a proven signature system. Today, we talk about a lot of things. Number one, the milestones a coach should reach that tells you it's time to expand beyond one-on-one. You'll also learn some powerful questions to ask yourself to figure out the best business model for you. We also get into some common mistakes coaches make when they try to scale their business. And please be sure to stick around till the end because there's this really funny moment where I lost myself a little bit and tried to be very polite and even timid about the sketchy sales tactics we often see online. And Jerisha, her response is priceless. So I don't want to wait another minute. Get ready to take some notes and please enjoy this inspiring conversation with Jerisha Hawk. Jerisha, this has been, it feels like a bit of a long time coming, and I'm just so happy to welcome you to the show. I'm like so pumped to be here. Like Dallas, anybody, if you've been listening to this, you already know how amazing Dallas is, but I'm just, it's an honor to be on the other end of the mic. Thank you. Thanks for coming. And the conversation we're going to have today is an important one because the people listening are values-driven coaches. They don't mind building their business slowly if it means building it right. And they want scalability in a values-aligned way. And I feel like you are an example of what that can look like. So I'm excited to talk about what it looks like to expand beyond one-to-one coaching. Yes, let's do it. So I would love to just dial into this to tangible metrics other than, I feel like I should expand beyond one-to-one coaching. What are some tangible metrics that a coach can reach in order to know it's time to expand? Yeah. Like before I dive into metrics, I want to make sure we're clear on the mindset. So I think three things that need to be true if you want to transition to group is one, your ability to articulate the value of what it is that you deliver. And I imagine if you're listening to this right now, you're either probably already really good or really effective at delivering the value, like helping the client actually experience the transformation of what it is they enrolled with you for. Transitioning into group also requires these two elements or attributes is your ability to how effective you are at articulating your value publicly and aligning those two things with where demand already exists. So Value delivery, value articulation, delivery is private, articulation is public, and aligning that with where demand already exists. And where we've noticed the most success for clients who transition from one-on-one to group is that they've already, there's 
they're deciding is like, I think part of it is like the metric of what are you deciding to actually transition in? Like what offer are you trying to transition or what problem are you trying to solve that you're trying to transition? And when you can transition, like if you've already been working with private one-on-one clients, you'll start to recognize there's a pattern that you're noticing and how you're teaching or where clients are getting challenges. And those patterns now become your process for the group delivery. Yeah. So you can really transition. Like, I think when you start to notice the metric of how frequent of a cadence are clients getting the result that you predicted based off of what your program promises, like that's a really important metric. And then I think the second piece from a metric perspective is because when you start going into group, it's about how consistent are you at being able to generate qualified leads applying for your program. So I think client results and qualified applicants for your actual program are two key metrics to help you influence whether or not there's demand and if it's time for you to shift. I can almost hear our listeners asking, well, how can I communicate the value of a group if I haven't done it yet? Can you dig into that a little bit for folks? So all of what we do is teaching clients how to transition into group delivery. And I think (laughs) you're always overcoming objections. You're overcoming objections to get the sale then you're overcoming objections to get the client to do the work, to get the result that you promised. But when you transition from one-on-one into group, you have to recognize that all the things that you use to focus on the value of like, it's private one-on-one, it's exclusive, it's customized, it's intimate and all these things. Now you have to shift into why is group better than private one-on-one? And why it does become better is that you go from the value being placed on the customization that they can get from you, the provider, to the value, the the prospect paying for the effectiveness of your ability to document your processes. So the value shifts from, oh, she's she can customize and give me whatever I need to the value being in the documentation of her process is so solid. I know that I can get the result even if I don't have her. So the value shifts when I'm buying you as the person to I'm investing in this documented, proven process that you've put together in the form of your curriculum. So I think that's one like immediate fundamental like value shift. But I think the second piece is that you have to, your marketing needs to become more sophisticated. And what I mean by that is Maybe before when you were selling one-on-one, you could really focus on the elements of the solution being the prize of like, this is why my one-on-one is so good. I can customize better than anybody else. You'll have full access to me, no boundaries, call me whenever you want, box me whenever you need, slack me on the weekends, like, or whatever it might be to, I think when you start transitioning into group and when you start to remove more and more of the dependency to get the result away from you and into the curriculum and into the coaching your marketing needs to become more sophisticated and being able to articulate your value. And what I mean by that is like aligning your messaging with how buyers are making psychological decisions. Like what is the psychology around how your prospect is making buying decisions? So your content has to shift from like telling people what to do, the how-to tactical content to teaching people how to think and the messaging of your content focusing more on that. That's so valuable. And what I heard you say, there's a few points I want to make sure our listeners grab. The first one is we can't be lazy in the messaging where when what we're offering is private, there's so much room to just be lazy because it's an intimate experience and you've already reached out to me because you like me, so you're buying me. And now I'm ready to move to groups when I can document 
proof of the process I've taken private clients through. And now I have to rely on the proof of my process as the evidence that the group is better. So it's not the same as you're going to get me privately to now we're in a group and you're going to be in a supportive community. I have to go really rely on the process and then help people mentally prepare themselves. Or when I talk to my Hive members, we talk about helping your audience believe that the thing they want is possible and that they are capable of having it. And that's what I hear you saying when it comes to the sophistication of the messaging. Because you start messaging more beyond like all the features of what it is that Mm -hmm. you include. And you start speaking to like those private beliefs that are influencing how they're making buying decisions. What are all those areas of resistance? What are all those objections? What are all those truths that never really should have been truths to begin with? Like improper diagnosis of their problem. Again, your content is teaching them how to think about how to shift their perspective or elevate their perspective around what it is they currently believe that they, you know, why they can't do it, why they're not capable, why it won't work for them. And also why your solution is the best solution for them in their particular season of business or particular season of life. And I think when you go to group, I think niching down and becoming even more specialized in what you were doing in one-on-one is I mean, it's not, I don't want to say it's required. I think it'd be very, I think it's difficult to sell at a higher ticket in group when you have a very vague program promise or a vague niche, but specializing is, I think, uh, makes that process a lot simpler. And it also allows you to provide more value because you can design the process of the delivery to actually cater to a specific person at a specific moment in time. And then I think the last part of the transitioning is the curation and the qualification of the members that you're putting in your group. Like the value is no longer Dallas has all the answers, but the value shifts to, I can trust this process. And also like there's this inherent value of who my peers are going to be. They've been vetted and they've been qualified. They're not just letting anybody who can pay in the door. And I think all those elements, like when you have to change to being a leader of one-to-one privately to now designing and curating the culture of the community of the program container that you're building as well and maintaining those elements in addition to documenting your curriculum and driving demand through the the sophistication of your marketing content. I want to talk more about documenting curriculum. So for our listeners who went through any sort of coach certification program, what we are fed, and I tend to disagree with this, so here here come the DMs. You know, the client has all of the answers and our job is to ask really great questions to bring their higher self forward. There can be some truth to that, but people hire me because of my experience and expertise and I'm not going to withhold that, right? So that's beside the point. But for coaches who feel like they're so in the moment with their clients and every client's experience is unique, Mm -hmm. how can they get started documenting a process? Because I believe they've got one. They don't. So how can you help them get started thinking about this piece differently? I think first thing you have to decide is what business model are you trying to to build? What price point do you want to be enrolling clients? Because I think if you want to say maybe getting paid hourly, maybe getting paid on this like much looser type of framework or form, going with the flow with your clients might work. Like, I don't know. But I think if you want to start selling package pricing, if you want to start charging, you know, $3,000 or more, most people, even if we have life coaches and people who have coaching certifications that we've worked with, there's still people are paying for an expertise. And I think part of it, sometimes we can get kind of stuck in this silo of like, this is what I want to sell. 
as if we're our business is functioning and operating in a silo outside of like the economy at large. I think audience and customer base is becoming more sophisticated. So the claims that we are making that we are selling our, our audience or selling to people have to also align with the market sophistication in which we are selling into. I think part of this is like, how do I go about this approach? It's like, you have to make some decisions now as a business owner. What problem do I want to decide that I want to focus the, my messaging and my marketing to be around? And I think the maybe the issue sometimes is like, well, I know I can help a lot of people. I know you know that, and we know that, but that's really confusing when you start to try to do that from a marketing and a messaging perspective publicly. So mm-hmm. you have to decide, like, make some decisions around this is the problem that I'm going to solve. This is the Olympian or the specific person who has these attributes of urgency and qualification at this moment in time that I want to solve that problem for. And I think when you can make those decisions, you'll start to immediately notice patterns. So when it, what I recommend is I would look at who are the three or the four best clients that if you were like, if I could repeat them over and over again, my business would be great. I love helping them and they all achieve a similar result. And then you'll start to recognize patterns and how you'll see the patterns of like, we had, they asked these questions at this point, we had to go through the, I had to teach them this in kind of this order and about 80% of it will be consistent. And then when you transition into group, I'm a big believer in not pre-recording and building it before you sell it. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, dad, we be on a same thing. Why would you do that to yourself? No. (laughs) And so give yourself permission to teach your curriculum live, like a professor would at a university. So then you kind of have this loose outline and then, you know, every week or every other week or once a month, whatever your container is, you'll teach an element live as a workshop, but now you reserve the coaching around the comprehension or like your students' comprehension around what it is that you taught, which they still do know the answers. But I think when you clarify a promise that your program container is delivering on, you're really selling, like your process is your perspective and your beliefs around getting that result. And then your coaching gets more reserved. I think too, when you go to group, you have to recognize you're no longer just a coach. You've now also became a teacher. And I think maybe that's where maybe some of those coaches maybe get stuck. It's like, well, I'm only, I'm only a coach. I just have, they have the answers, but you're also a teacher now. So there's a level of expertise and provision that you provide, but now your coaching and the support around that coaching comes around the execution, the implementation, the comprehension around what it is that you taught. That might be another way to think about it. What you just sparked in me, and I talk about this a lot when I'm talking about selling but it applies here perhaps even more. And it's the difference between centering yourself and centering the client. So if I'm centering self, of course I want it to be organic and we're all just about connecting and I'm so present, I'm almost channeling <laughs> channeling my feedback and it's just so juicy, right? Yes. That's completely, that's me choosing based on my own experience rather than the client's needs. And what you just outlined was what it actually looks like when you center the client and take the time, even if that means going back and listening to the recordings of your coaching sessions, taking yes. the time to deconstruct what it is that actually happened because the process is in there and there is overlap. There are patterns for sure. This, I think, goes back to the decision of like, if you desire to grow beyond one-to-one, you have to ask yourself like, what's required of me to elevate to this new season Mm -hmm. and what's required, like, you know, we're on this learning journey. There's going to be a new skill set you're going to have to sharpen, refine, and develop. And I know the I think maybe something that's just helpful to maybe hear is you can argue for your limitations for as long as you want to keep them. And the limitation of 
oh, my client, I can't remove customization. Well, it depends. It depends. How I do this depends. It's like, you have to make it no longer depend where it's, it's clear. And it's like, then also elevate your belief that there's enough people in the audience that you can message and market to who will want to buy this more specific thing than maybe what you were doing before. Hey, I've got a question for you. What's your coaching superpower? If you haven't thought about it, I've got a free quiz that's pretty good at deciphering your magical mojo. Are you great at creating connections? Maybe you're a natural leader who people just trust, or perhaps it's your strong sense of purpose that you really need to leverage. Let's find out where you are, where you want to be, and how to best get you there with the Coaching Superpower Quiz. It'll take you about 45 seconds to complete, and when you're done, you'll learn the precise steps you need to take, whether you're ready to scale your business, you want to build your list, or you just need to find some paying clients. Plus, you'll get your very own personalized toolkit that caters to your unique superpower because accentuating the positive is always a good idea. So if you're ready to clear away the fog, chart your course, and steer your business in the right direction with as much ease and grace as possible, go take the superpower quiz. You can find it now at sixfigurecoachquiz.com. So, all right. I think we're getting people to believe us. <laughs> if not, maybe he's a little bit curious. Like, okay, I don't know. Yeah, right. I'll keep listening. So do you have a recommendation around a business model? Like for a coach who they've hit six figures, even 150K with a private model, and now they want to reach more and have a a program or a course. Is there a recommended business model that you often lean into for the coach who wants to go into the multiple sixes? Oh yeah. Well, one, it's going into one to many. You have to decide what type of one to many you want to do. And again, this goes beyond just what you want to deliver, but also like what marketing and sales approach do you want to take? I think what I've seen in our industry from the seven, eight, nine figure coaches I've been around, and even just from the clients that I've served is when you're at that 100, 200 grand, like you have to then decide, do I want to go down the digital course route where I am playing a volume game where I do need a lot, you know, a large enough audience and not a large enough number of leaves to make the, to make these numbers make sense where I'm probably going to be selling something less than $3,000 because mm-hmm. again, the, the approach from your messaging, your marketing and your sales process will be fundamentally different. Because again, the buying decision criteria is different for that at that price point, like just inherently. Or do I want to go down the one-to-many route where I may be doing a more high-touch, high-ticket, above $3,000 group coaching program where maybe you don't need as many leads. It's a smaller quantity, but those smaller quantity of people are paying more money because that marketing and that messaging and that sales approach is different. So I think this is where the decision of oh, what can I deliver? You have Your mindset has to evolve to what is the marketing, the messaging, the sales process that I really want to double down on? Because I think the approach is very different. When you're playing a volume yeah. game, it's different than a value game from a quantity, you know, quantity versus quality perspective. So I think that's like from business model, you can go one to many in a lot of ways. But I think deciding, do I want to sell something less than three grand? Do I want to build the marketing and the sales funnels that support that type of offer and the volume that's needed? Or do I want to sell something 3K or more, like $3,000 plus, where it's more of the curation of the community is really, really important. 
and the sophistication of your marketing and your sales process needs to evolve. And I think that is the decision at that point that will serve you very, very well. I think it's difficult for people to try to do both, to maybe have two offers in each of those categories. It's not impossible, but it's, it's grueling from personal experience and from what I've witnessed. You're just doubling the work because of what you said about the different type of marketing. The marketing is so, so different that you you're like doing everything twice. Right. So what I heard you say was when I'm ready to move from one to one to one to many, I need to decide like which road am I going to drive down Mm -hmm. the course creator route or the group coaching route. You're reminding me of an Instagram post I saw you do not long ago, and I laughed out loud. And I think you were actually sharing someone else's post, so I want to give credit where credit is due. But it was something, Darisha, about all of these high-ticket group coaching programs that are just a course, just a course with with an extra zero. (laughs) One of my friends, James Kemp, posted this, and I saw it, and I was like, bro... You are clowning today, but what he said is 93% of high ticket programs are just courses with calls. He made up that percentage, but I'm just like hilarious and true. So what I don't want anyone to misunderstand is that, and tell me if you agree, going down the high volume course route is not an easier path necessarily. The group coaching route or the course route, like they both have their own set of challenges. hundred percent. Like to me, it's actually easier selling a $15,000 program than it is selling a 1500 personally. Like there have, you have objections from clients in both arenas. You have hesitancy, resistance from clients in both arenas. You have to, I personally think it's harder going down the course, lower ticket, higher volume route personally, because I feel like you're constantly on the hunt for enough leads to make it make sense. You're probably running paid advertising unless you already have some sort of existing organic large volume presence, which I think is more rare than anything. Like I think of our, you know, girlfriend, Vanessa Lau. I think she's a rare breed. Like she, her YouTube following is like, I don't know, half a million people or something. Like I think if you have, you need to be a content creator if you want to do the organic play from that position, I think. But I don't know. I think it's it's not one is nowhere near easier than the other. I think, but personally, I think it's harder selling that route because it's, you know, you're de- there's a lot of dependency that pay dependency on paid advertising a lot of the yeah. time, and also the again the the mindset and the psychology of the buyer, personally is one that I don't prefer to have to support not support but like manage expectations around versus somebody who's charging or paying higher ticket tell me more about that what do you mean like in most of the time in digital course industry like failed payment rates are significantly higher like i think mm-hmm. the norm is maybe 20 to 30 percent from like some of the books i've read or the research i've like conversations i've had with like um like gravy who does yeah. failed payment recovery or stuff like that like People's failed payment rates are higher. So you're dealing with more refund requests or just failed payments in general for payment plans for a $97 or $197 a month for a 12-month type of situation. And I don't know. I think people's expectations are just very different of like, I should get lifetime value. And I think to get to just look at the industry, the what who all the other course creators, what is the norm that they are setting? Because that is now influencing the expectations that buyers have but you may not have the operational team to deliver those expectations that a lot of the industry is now, it's lifetime access is kind of like a norm. Being bonused group coaching calls or private one-on-one calls can be seem almost like a norm when 
they're doing that because they have different operational capacity to deliver it than maybe you do at a, at 150 grand versus maybe a multi seven figure course creator who who can provide with way different capital, way different team structure. I think when I'm going down the high end route, I mean, I don't even know. We probably had like less than 2% of failed payments and we have like a 90% payment recovery rate. Like people are in, like they reach out to us before we can even reach out to them half the time if a payment fails. Like, oh my bad girl, like my credit card. (laughs) I was, you know, hiking through the Himalayas or something. I lost my credit card on the cliff. Like it's more, you know, there's a different level of expectation. And I think just respect that kind of comes. Like I think too, as well at that level, you know, most of those clients have been around the block before they come mm-hmm. work with us, not expecting for me to be their savior and to have all the answers. They recognize my position as a shepherd, as a part of their journey. So I think I think half of your job when you go to one to many is just managing the expectations that your clients have based off the things they say and don't say with your delivery. So I think that just different price points attract different perceptions and different expectations. Expectations. So I think those are some of the things to kind of think about. Yeah. And also just understanding the industry that you are in. What I find is a 997 program. What I see is a lot of those programs promising ungettable results. That's also the norm. So people come in paying $1,000 for a lifetime access to a seven module program and actually think that is the answer when it might solve a really specific problem, but it's not really the answer. It gives you a vague overview of a lot of problems, but not depth on how to actually resolve Mm -hmm. them. And I think too, a lot of the time with the courses, I think when you start to grow beyond 150K, 200 grand, you start to realize that it's not necessarily about what's the new thing that you need to learn to do, but it's around how do I have a depth of mastery around the few things that have worked well and where can I double down to start to experience greater results. And buying a course that, if you feel, if you're a course junkie, if you're somebody here as a recovering course junkie. No one listening knows what you're talking about right now at all. Oh, I'm like, you know, I'm like, you keep buying stuff and then you feel bad for not right? finishing them. And then your yeah. guilt or self-shame of not finishing them mm-hmm. prevents you from making the investment in the place that your business actually needs. I just want to like, if there's a reason why you haven't finished it, that might be an exact reason why you need to enroll in a higher end program. Cause maybe there's a lack of either clarity in how to actually implement what it is that you need because they're scra- they're introducing problems but not giving you the process to, to fix and provide the solution. Or like you said, it might be that course might be addressing one particular problem, but maybe there's context around it that you might need. I think that's like the other part of like consuming information. It kind of goes back to like the employee mindset versus the entrepreneur mindset. Mm. Because being a really good employee, it's like, well, you can go to school and get a good degree and that's enough for you to get a promotion or go take this certification, consume more information. And now you're more qualified for the next position. Business does not care how much you know if you don't know how to execute it regularly, consistently and accurately. Like doing the work isn't enough all the time. You have to like do the work accurately and have these consistent refinement loops over and over and over again. If like maybe you're repeating the exact same thing to get a little bit more data next time to know how to, you know, adjust one thing. Like sometimes it's minor tweaks, but I think it's not so much consumption. I think at this point it's consumption of the right thing, but being able that consumption supportive of you being able to execute it well. So 
I want to scale. Do you have an opinion, Jerisha, about how many offerings are too many offerings? Oh, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> I mean, I think you can get to a million with one, max two. And that, again, this is just based off of client data from peers. But like, I think it depending on how simple your business model is when you get to a point where you've decided to go to grow to a million or beyond, I think if you're selling high ticket, like 3K plus, I think one offer that's three to 10 grand. And then if you choose to have a secondary offer, that is a direct result of like, I think every great program solves one problem and creates a new one. And I call it a succession offer versus like, I think maybe traditionally they're talked about as ascension. If the only time I would recommend having a second offer is if the second offer directly solves the problem that the first offer created so that you're not focusing on getting new leads, but rather how do I retain the existing clients that I have and increase lifetime value of the clients that I had for my core program. That's the only time I'd recommend because then it allows you to reduce the level of confusion from a, your public marketing because you're not trying to, I don't know, necessarily make content that's speaking to two fundamentally different philosophies and approaches that want two max, max. Yeah, it's interesting because I agree with you and there could be an exception. I'm thinking out loud here, so we'll see where this goes. But before I worked with coaches, I had a business. I was a business mentor for actors. Mm. So this was like a teeny tiny niche with a very specific set of shared goals and obstacles. So actors, they want to book more work. They believe they need a talent agent in order to do that. Somewhere along the journey, they realize that their talent agent is not going to do all the work and it's time for them to step up and do an agent themselves. And in order to do that, they've got to take care of their mindset. They might have different ways to describe that, but it's really a shared set of beliefs and obstacles. So that business, I had five courses mm-hmm. and we had someone would start at the actor's business blueprint, and then they would buy the four other programs. So we had repeat customers. We took that business to just under seven figures, but it was unique in that the niche was so super small and the experience was just really, really shared. But I think where coaches can go is, okay, I want to make more money. So I have to repeat what I just did and sell to the same people. So let me create another offer. And that's where we can can create chaos. I imagine that those Mm -hmm. five courses could have been one high ticket program. And like you said, you had a very niche situation and also the offers that you designed as were very complementary to the core problem. And I think too, a lot of the time in cases of coaches, they will create new offers. There's not existing demand. Like your people, there was a clear demand for the next thing. And I think, again, those things could have been, and I think how you wouldn't even know if they're complimentary, those things could have been one. I would have, I'm just guessing, could have been potentially one bigger program. Keen Um, observation. Well, they were built in the way that you just described. Okay, you finish this course and we solved that problem and it created a new one. That's how mm -hmm. I designed the program. So that's exactly speaks to the point you made earlier. Our world is all high ticket. I would not have like five high ticket no. programs per se. <laughs> but in that world, like I think that I love that yeah. maybe contradiction or just different approach to the perspective. But I think you being very intentional about whatever offers you have, if, it's, there, if there's not clear demonstrated demand for the next solution, I think it can be very difficult and cumbersome, especially if you don't have, again, the operational capacity to, to 
attract enough leads for both, to market for both, to sales for both, client delivery for both and all of that. If I had to do it again, I mean, there's a reason I'm not doing that business anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe talk about that. Like what you guys just, you said around seven figures, like what caused, what was your aha to make a change? Well, it was on the personal side of things. I became a mom and threw my television away. So I like, how am I supposed to teach you how to be in an industry that I don't care about anymore? (laughs) Right. So there was that piece, but also we were in a perpetual launch. Mm -hmm. I had the belief founded or not. I think it's like a 50, 50 true and 50, 50, my own limitation that this market, they're not going to pay more than $900 for a program. Mm -hmm. My program was 900 and it was the most expensive thing in town. So that was, that belief drove me to have these multiple offerings. But yeah, we were just in a, with five programs, we were in a every perpetual month. launch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every other, well, probably every month. It was every quarter. And then we'd flash sell something in December. And it was fun until it wasn't anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. We have a client that does a uh, dog anxiety coaching for paw parents whose dogs have been clinically diagnosed for anxiety. And uh, super niche, very similar to what I'm hearing you say. And Ah. also very similar. She's like, I can't charge more than $600 for this. It used to be Mm -hmm. a digital course until she started working with us. And she's like, it's the premium in our industry. If I charge more, people are going to think that I'm a dog trainer, which I'm not. It's it's a completely different approach than like resolving their dog anxiety than just like training your dog how like not to bark when the mailman comes home. And I think with offer positioning, she now sells that same program for like about $6,000, I think is where she's at. Ten in about six months and she's make those shifts. But like you said, kind of when you start to, that belief might be valid to some degree, or it's like a, how do I radically differentiate myself so people can't even compare me to competitors? And yeah, I am the most expensive, but like I'm going to be the Lambo of my industry or be mm-hmm. the Ferrari or the whatever of the industry. And like you can assume that position too. So there's no, there's so many ways to go about it. I think it's just deciding what's the way that's most congruent with you and how you actually want to show up and lead. Two questions I want to end with. The first one is for anyone listening today who has committed, this is the year that they expand beyond one-to-one. What's a tangible first step or thought that they can make? Oh, I would immediately go try to sell what this group offer is going to be like right now. So (laughs) I would open up your phone. If you're listening to this, you could well listen to what I'm going to say and then pause the episode and come back maybe or finish listening to this episode and then go do this. But I would go immediately to your Instagram stories or go to immediately wherever you you normally have conversations with clients, or you could go to your existing client base and like maybe first write down like what is the problem that has presented itself that goes beyond the scope of what we cover in one-on-one that's the new problem that this one-on-one coaching created and clarify what that problem actually is like whatever it might be. And then I would either one, go pitch that offer back to your existing clients to say, hey, we have another container that we're going to be supporting a handful of clients in addressing this new problem. Like, would you like to join us and just come up with some small container, maybe three months, you can just test it out in small kind of thing and try to go sell it and like, see what are the objections that you get? See, you know, what are the questions that people ask and allow that feedback that you're getting to influence like the frameworks and the approach that you take with being able to sell it. But like the first, that was the first thing I would go do. Like if you're like itching is like 
go test the waters. I would go look at the data for my existing clients. Where is the pattern and the problem that I'm seeing? And I would first go probably pitch it to the, go make the invitation. I shouldn't say pitch. Energetically, you might approach that differently, but go make that invitation to your existing clients to join you in a new container, resolving that new problem and just see how that goes. Goes well, then, then go make the invitation publicly to your audience to either fill out the container, maybe get a few more folks. It's so great because what you just did was encourage everyone to, I'm using air quotes for our listeners, but to research in a very activated, profitable way because you could spend a year or 10 researching and never making an invitation. So that's really great advice. Go make the invitation. while you figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. You can do some research, but like when Mm -hmm. you notice, okay, there's three people out of the five past clients that all have this problem. First, ask yourself, one, do I want to be, do I want to help them solve Uh, that problem? mm -hmm. Um, And if yes, then go make the invitation. And like, there's so much you cannot prepare for until you actually work with clients because you know how to be a good coach. You have to now learn how to be a great teacher too. Yeah. And hold that space. It's different. So this is a bit of a curveball, and it may be completely, your answer may be completely unrelated to anything we've already talked about, but I'm just curious, what's one rule you wished every online business owner lived by? You need to be able to measure your client results. That's something I care deeply about, like care enough about your clients to want to measure the results that they get. I don't know. I feel like a lot, not, I don't feel like everybody in our industry doesn't do this, but I feel like there's a large part of our industry that's so focused on just how do I get new people in the door mm-hmm. and how do I satisfy their expectations enough, but there's not enough. I think not even just how many people finish my program, but how many people are getting the result that your program promised. I think that would calibrate a lot of these over-promising and under-delivering that we, six figures in six weeks with working six minutes a day. It's like, (laughs) come on. I think that would normalize and just recalibrate expectations around what's actually required. Like people selling like, oh, I surf every day, but like on the back end of their business, they're working 12 hours a day. Like it's just being more truthful about the reality of what's required to experience whatever transformation it is. And I just think that would bring more honesty, more integrity, more morality, just more ethical approach to selling and a more, you know, just ethical alignment of expectations. If coaches cared about measuring the results their clients got and using that data to influence what their program promises, influence their messaging, influence their marketing, influence their client delivery, like not how many people complete your program. Yeah. Some people get the result that you promised because some people won't need to finish the whole program to get the results and that's okay. So that would be mm-hmm. the one, the one thing. Yeah. I love it. Regulation and intentionality, right? Like that. I love what, cause what you offered was a, a tangible path or a tangible solution to this problem that a lot of people are talking about, which is, mm, this might be too strong of language, but deceptive marketing. It's but, absolutely deceptive. It can be manipulative. And I think yeah. some of it is immoral, conniving. Like I'm not saying yeah. it's really all bad ways, but I think it can make it difficult for the consumer and to be able to like, I just believe that my job in sales, our job in sales is not to get the yes. It's to mm-hmm. help the client make the best next step decision for themselves. And sometimes that decision is with us and sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not personal because kind of, what you said earlier of like removing yourself from the center and putting the client in the center. I think when you can serve like that, 
I mean, I think that's a very like spiritual way to serve. It's a very servant leadership approach. And I think abundance comes out of that naturally. It's allowed me to have a lot more simplicity in my business, trusting that abundance will come from that way. But I also sleep so much better at night. Yeah. I love the clients. Like I haven't built a business that I, I hate. I haven't built a business that causes, that has caused me to go into depression or mm-hmm. which happens very often in our industry. We build these businesses that almost break us. And it's broken me in other ways that needed to be healed, but not in the way of like, there's not, there's, there it allows me to grow in a way that's still congruent with my values and congruent yeah. with my spirituality, which I think that more people could benefit from both financially in their business, but also just with like for themselves, like internally. Yeah. I'm so glad I asked. That was a great <laughs> question. <laughs> So thank you for coming on the show. This was really helpful, and I hope it sparks something in all of our listeners, especially the ones who have been waiting for the perfect sign to tell them that they're ready to expand beyond one-to-one. Let this episode, yes, I'm talking to you, let this episode be the sign that you've been waiting for. Jerisha Hawk, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. We'll see you back next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to Coaches on a Mission. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, follow, rate, and review. Do all of the things (laughs) to show your support for this show. It is so helpful for us, and it also helps other coaches find this show. If you want to take this episode further, please follow me on Instagram. I'm Dallas Travers Biz Mentor, and every week I turn our episode into a week-long mini course on my Instagram page. It's designed to help you apply what we talk about during the episode to your business in a super tangible way. So let's be Insta friends. Head on over to Instagram and look for my new handle. Again, it's Dallas Travers Biz Mentor. You can do that now, and you just might find some funny reels while you're there. So believe me when I tell you, it'll be worth it. Okay. Thanks again for tuning in. I truly appreciate that you make time to listen to this show and I hope you have a wonderful week.